I've titled my message for this morning, Paupers to Princes. Okay, Proverbs 30 verse 21 says, Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. Verse 22, a slave when he becomes king, and a fool when he is filled with food, an unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. So we see four things that the writer of Proverbs is highlighting, four things that are of vast contrast from the other, from a slave and a king. Let me put it in the message for you so you can get a little bit more contemporary understanding. It says, three things are too much for even the earth to bear. Yes, four things shake its foundation when the janitor becomes the boss. When a fool gets rich... I'm not swearing in church. When a whore is voted woman of the year and when a girlfriend replaces a wife. i put in a little bit more context for you. The language that is being used there. We cannot even begin to fathom the depths of, um, that are involved and the wisdom of Proverbs for its time. It, uh, if I was to ask you... Um, how this passage actually makes you feel, if this passage just challenged you in a way and started to stir you up and actually on the inside made you feel a little bit angry because, you know, it's not just that a slave become a king. It's not just that a, um, a janitor become a boss. It's just not just that these things are happening. Then, maybe we actually need to ask some serious questions of ourselves. Now, I'm not talking the last two there. I'm talking the very first one in particular. Because I believe that's a description of us when a janitor becomes a boss or when a slave becomes a king. So if inside of us there was a little bit of anger just starting to raise up there and saying, that's just unjust. How is that even fair? That's not something that our God would do. Then maybe we need to ask ourselves, have we actually been impacted with grace? If there are four things that would shake the very foundations of the world, I would say today, then it must be grace. There's one particular example that I desire to focus on, and I said as the first one, a slave as he becomes a king. The root word here for servant or slave is the same word that describes Israel's plight in Egypt. They were slaves conditioned to the ways and cultures of their time. The Hebrew people only knew to have children, to cook, to raise flocks because they were shepherds and herdsmen and sadly to make brick that was their entire life they would wake at before the sun came up they would have something to eat they would go and they would make bricks for 12 hours and then they would go home in the dark and they would prepare something to eat and they would sleep for as little as they could just for the next day to do that seven days a week they were slaves And you see, that was all that they had. They were stifled of all creativity. Could you imagine what that would be like? 
There was no possibility for them to be creative in any way. They were deprived of leadership. And their dreams and their goals, well, they just would not have even come up to their thinking because they were slaves. They knew nothing else but to cook food, have children, and make bricks. Somewhere in there, somehow trying to rest up their bodies. But they knew one other thing. They knew that their God would one day deliver them. Is this not a picture of us? And let me go one more step further. Is this not something that we need to challenge? Are we caught still in a slave mentality? But God wants to set us free completely also. Shall I say that again? God wants to set us free completely also. We have all been born into the greater picture for all humanity. That greater picture is actually a more grim picture in the sense that every one of us was born into sin. If you've been coming to church long enough, you would know that that's the entirety of our um, where we were born. We were born as slaves to sin, Paul would put it. But yet there are some here today that may not necessarily have heard that mentality before or that thinking. So if you're here today and you have not encountered the completed workings of Jesus Christ, then hear what I'm about to say. This world you are in is lost. It is turned over to a state of sin that neither you or I can ever work out of. No matter what you can do, no matter how much money you can earn, no matter your state or your popularity or your status within the community, there is nothing you can do that could work yourself out of this world of sin. Sin is the greatest equalizer for all of humanity, but yet it's the only thing that really puts a separation between us because so many people are striving to achieve and so many people are striving the opposite way of that, to destruction. So this world that you, were lived, you live in is lost and turned over to a state of sin. There is only one way to freedom. There is only one way out of the depravity of sin. And if there is depravity, then there is also punishment. That is separation from God. There's eternal death. There is only one form and one way out, and his name is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. And you see, an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ means that sin is no longer your problem. If you've been here for long enough now, you understand that we, we're talking from a position of grace. Sin no longer becomes your problem. But yet, so many people are still wandering around in the desert like those, Egyptian, uh, those Israeli Jewish, Hebrew, however you would like to call them, servants were. They were set free from bondage and sin, and yet they were still bound to their old ways of thinking. 
Being raised as slaves has had an effect on each of us. Being born into sin, being born into this world has actually influenced the way we think, whether you know that or not. Your life is a product of your worldview, the way you were brought up, what you learnt along the way, the way your parents or lack of parenting helped you or did not help you, the decisions you made along the way, the mistakes that you got caught in, the muck that you got on your feet as you walked. So in a sense, we are all actually in need of some form of deliverance which basically means to deliver from point A to point B. We're all in some form of need to break the chain off of our life, which holds us captive to the old way of thinking and bring us into the liberty of the free way of thinking, which is through the Spirit, by walking in the Spirit. If point A being that of slavery, then point B would be that of princes and princesses if we're raised as slaves knowing no different then the slave mind says i am meant for no great cause just like those israelis the hebrew people they had no chance of dreaming and no chance of rising up they were caught bound in their slave thinking and there are some sitting here today that too are bound by a slave kind of thinking. If you can say, I am born for no great cause, then you too need to be encountering Jesus Christ and his freeing work. It will never naturally occur to us that we can do anything that is from a royal thought or a kingdom act unless we are born into royalty. How can we be kingdom-minded if we're still controlled by our slave mentality then? Have a look at Moses. Moses is a prime example. For around 40 years, Moses, actually we'll go back a little bit further. We'll go back to his birth. Moses was born a slave. He was not born a free man. He was born a slave. In fact, he was so far born a slave that his life was so much under threat because there was an edict out to say that all the male children needed to be slain they needed to be thrown into the Nile and you know a newborn baby would not be able to survive if thrown into the water and left so so much more than just slavehood he was actually born into condemnation unto death and yet even being cast into the river his mum had faith she had hope And in the bulrushes comes along a princess, takes him into her care, calls his mother over to be his wet nurse. In fact, just to be his mother while he was being brought up in the kingdom, in the palace. And for 40 years, he's a son of a princess. That's quite an amazing thing. Even though he was born a slave and condemned to death, All he knows, his worldview, is that of the palace. While his brothers and sisters were out in the back blocks building bricks, all he knew was the goodness of the banquet table. 
And yet something rose up within him because it wasn't just, it wasn't right. And eventually he tries to identify with his people, but because his mentality is so different to theirs, he does something that is so downright wrong in his frustration. He kills one of the Egyptian soldiers. And you see, Moses then, out of guilt, runs away and for 40 years wanders around, finds himself a wife, serves his wife's father, and tends the flocks. So for 40 years, Moses is now learning what it is like to live as a wanderer, a sojourner, someone who has no purpose. And it was such a vast difference from the palace. But you see, Moses was more and had a great call on his life. My question for us today, for you to ask of yourself, where am I in relation to the journey of discipleship into Jesus Christ? I picked that word into for a reason. Because some of us here today may not have made the first step, which is to believe and be saved. Once you are saved, you are in Christ. But for those of us on this journey, those of us who are saved, there needs to be something to understand. When you look at me, you don't see Jesus. But when the world looks at me, the call and the mandate on my life, as it is the call and mandate on your life, is that they must see Jesus. So to be discipled into Jesus means to become more like him. How would Jesus do this? How would Jesus go about this? What would Jesus say here? Would Jesus lay his hands on and heal the sick? You know, how are we loving the brothers and sisters in Christ? Because as we love one another, the world will see Jesus. Those sorts of things come into question. So where are we? Where am I in relation to this journey of discipleship? into Jesus Christ. We all have this mandate, not just the leaders, not just the body. It is a call to all. But as leaders within the church, we're called to stir you up, to cause you to grow up into the head, which is Jesus Christ. So in a sense, what I'm saying, my role is then to poke you, to prod you, to love you and to encourage you, to teach you and equip you to become more like Jesus. How that happens, I don't know. But the wisdom of God and His Holy Spirit is something that will, I will say today will stir your heart and prod your heart to be say, I want to be more like Jesus. I want a, a mind that says I'm free. I want to be in the palace. I don't want to be in the back blocks. I don't want to be a pauper. I want to, I mean, I don't want to be a pauper. I don't want to be a slave. I'm royalty. There's three points I want us to look at really quickly. If you're thinking that you're the janitor and God calls you the prince or the princess. First point is royalty. You are royalty to influence, to rule and to reign. 
you are royalty to influence, to rule, to reign. I want that to sink in for a minute. Who struggled to hear that? Who struggles to say that about themselves? Not a real humble thing to say about yourself, I think. But that's the wrong attitude. If ever the church is to have influence within its locality, its region or its nation, let me say it will not come from wealth and power, but from the renewal of the everyday Christians who begin to operate from a place of victory. God didn't choose wealth. He didn't choose buildings. He chose you. He chose people, the body of Christ, to reveal him. There are so many glorious structures around the world that are built as monuments to Jesus Christ. These churches are fabulous. And if you just get some, even Google images and go and have a look at the structure and the splendor that is in them, the wonder of the architecture, that the creativity of the people that would put that together, and yet within you, there is so much more beauty. Within you, there is so much more potential. Within you, there is royalty, so much so that the very throne of your heart, Jesus Christ, wants to make his very own. So you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, not the building, not the bricks, not the mortar, human flesh, the spirits of men and women who would say yes to Jesus Christ. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are each called to lay down our lives for the cause of the kingdom. Jesus makes us holy and acceptable to God. Our response is one of sacrifice. It is saying yes to God, saying yes, we will be an influence. We will shine brightly for you. We will infiltrate the world system as leaven infiltrates the dough. We will reign victorious in Christ and no longer will we remain subject to the lies of the devil. Who is trying to keep you as a pauper? So those of you that are sitting there this morning going, I can't accept that I'm royalty. I can't accept that I've been called to change my life and my world around me. Those words are not yours. They're the words of the one who comes to steal, kill and destroy, steal your hope kill you of your dreams and destroy you and your relationship with Jesus. You are a prince or a princess to influence, to rule and to reign. That's in every area of your life, spiritually and physically. How can I say that? Because Romans 8.19 says that the world groans and waits for the uprising of the sons of men. Oh God, sorry. The reality is that this world is groaning for you to stand up and be more like Jesus. 
The reality is that as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth. Let it be in me as it is in heaven. The reality is that God by his Holy Spirit sets up residence in you to change your environment, to change your world, to change the way you think so that you can be a free agent of the kingdom to minister his holiness and his goodness, to minister his love, to minister his spirit, the very one that has come to set the world free. And he's chosen to do that by you in partnership with you. And while ever we have a slave pauper mentality, while ever we're caught in the back blocks building the brick, doing the same old thing every day, day in, day out, getting our hands dirty, getting our feet dirty with the rubbish of this world, we will never, ever, ever live the free life that Christ has called and paid for. And I think Jesus deserves more. I think he deserves more. I know he wants more because he is the one that receives all glory. Secondly, royalty is countercultural. You look at the royals as at the moment, you know, they're over in India, is it? And they're at the front of that place, the building dedicated to love. You know, the photo, it's all over the news this morning as this lovely couple are getting photos sitting on the same bench that his mother sat along alone. They're in a different world, guys. Could you imagine having a hundred paparazzi just there snapping to get that photo just so they can be the first one to get it on the news? It's a different world. Just the fact that they are so wealthy is a different world. Their privilege is so different. But you see, we're stuck in a world that says I have to work and beat myself to even get anywhere in life. And that's not the kingdom of God. Yes, we will have trouble. Yes, we'll have trial. But it's trial because we are countercultural. We're actually kicking against the goads. We're going the opposite way than what the highway is leading to hell. We are going in the opposite direction. And there's only one reason that we go in the opposite direction is because while we were on that highway that leads to death, Jesus Christ put his cross in the middle of it and we encountered it. And instead of going past that and into destruction, we decided to turn around and walk God's way. You see, that's the only reason that we're different. And it is countercultural. So we're now walking against the goad. We're going the other way. And that in its time can be hard. Only if our mindset is still stuck in this world. You see, if we pick up our eyes and we lift our eyes up and we look at Jesus Christ, then let me tell you, life becomes a little bit easier to walk against the culture of our time. Because our hope is not set upon the way of this world. Our hope is set upon the one who has set us free. And while our eyes is, are fixated on Him, yes, we'll have trouble. But let me tell you, you'll walk with your head held high. You will encounter love and you will change your world around you. That's countercultural. Kingdom culture is higher than any way you have been brought up. Kingdom culture is actually higher than the prince and the princess of Wales. Kingdom culture is higher than any royalty that we have seen on this earth. For the riches of Solomon, 
for the wonders of David. Kingdom culture far surpasses that. Any human being in their right mind will never, ever comprehend the kingdom if we're trying to walk by the flesh and not by the Spirit. King David was not born a king. He became king because his heart beat for God. While he was out tending the sheep, he was singing the praises of his God. He was worshipping his king. And he was preparing himself for the day that he would take that throne. You see, he knew something that many of us don't. He was born for such a time. You were born for such a time as now. David says in Psalm 37, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. See, while I'm walking around with my head down, while I'm walking around just watching where my feet are going so I'm not treading on people, injustice is actually being done against me because there's one person who knows that I'm countercultural and he's trying to keep me stifled and it's called your enemy. Same with you. As you're walking around with your head down low, the enemy's going, have a bit more. Here's a little bit more pressure on your life. It's all right. God won't let you bear up more than you can handle. Here's a little bit more. And all of a sudden, you're struggling. All of a sudden, you're starting to sink in the water that you're supposed to be walking upon. All of a sudden, you're looking at the world around you like Peter did as the waves rose up and the storms of life came upon him. At that moment, he sunk. But when he looked to Jesus, Jesus helped him up. Simple principle of the word. Keep your eyes fixated on Jesus. Walk as Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But at the same time, you will fulfill God's call and purpose of your life and you will see your, His kingdom come in and through you. See, God wants to grow your capacity. He actually wants you to be able to bear up with the struggles of this life. But while ever your focus is on your own feet and your own struggles, your capacity will never grow. It can't. Because if you're going to be of this world, you are going to be able to fall in this world. But we are not of this world. We are countercultural. We are of a different kingdom. Therefore, our eyes must be fixated upon that kingdom. Royalty is countercultural in that you no longer identify with the ways of this world, you each have a higher calling and a declaration over your life. What has been spoken over you through prophecy? What is it? What are those words that have been declared over your life? They are the words that you are to be held accountable for. They are the words the Spirit is whispering into your ears. But if you cannot hear it, then you're listening to the wrong Spirit. You're listening to the wrong voices. You see, if God's called you a man of valor, you should be a man of valor. And you should stand up as a mighty man of valor. 
If God's called you to be a woman of worth, of beauty that resembles Him and His glory, then you should adorn yourself with His kingdom and glory. But you see, the enemy is in our ear and he's robbing us of something. And it's God's prophetic voice into your life that you are much more blessed in Christ than in your own life and your own circumstances. You might only earn a hundred bucks a week. Does that mean you're not blessed? Absolutely not. Because you're richer than anyone that earns a million dollars a week. Because you are countercultural. What has been spoken over your life? What word is Holy Spirit keeping you accountable to? The only way you can be held accountable and will see it come to pass is if you keep your mind on the kingdom. You are a prince and a princess to influence, to rule and reign over the flesh. You are also countercultural. Royalty is counterculture to hear me in this. This is, if you've talked to me one-on-one, you would hear me say this to you quite often. Countercultural to your own culture. If you're Australian, whatever Australian culture is, you're countercultural to that. If you're Indigenous Australian, you are not known by that in the kingdom of God. Therefore, the hurts of the past actually need to be given over to Jesus Christ because He's the only one that will heal you. If you are from an island culture or an Asian culture or any other culture that I can mention that belongs to this church, you are not of that culture to God. Yes, your uniqueness and your differences that you bring and the color that you bring into the body of Christ is valid and valuable, but you are not that person to God. You are deeper than that. You are a prince because you have the right to call him father. You have the right to call him dad. So whatever it is about your culture that is distasteful and dishonoring to God, you probably need to get on your knees and say, God, deliver me of this. I'm not known by my Australian culture anymore. And those that try and drag me back into it, they know they're not getting anywhere. Why? Because my eyes are on Jesus. And that's what it's about, guys. Countercultural is you are not caught in your own way of doing things. You're not Australian culture. You're not island culture. You're not Asian culture. You're not any of those cultures. And definitely you are not secular culture. You are not popular culture. You are actually culture that goes against the grain. And that puts a target on you sometimes. What that means is that we need to press more into Jesus because we will not find We will not find encouragement from our peers around us. We have to find it in Jesus. Thirdly, royalty will usher in the bridegroom. If royalty is to rule, to reign over the flesh, if we're going to be countercultural and walk the ways of the kingdom, there has to be a purpose. That purpose, my friends, is to usher in the returning king. For those of you who haven't heard, Jesus is returning. He's coming on a white horse, they say. The commanders of the armies of heaven, the bridegroom returning for his bride. 
Do you know he's gone and he's preparing a marriage chamber, particularly for his church? Which means he's preparing a marriage chamber for you because if you belong to Jesus, you belong to his church. He makes you spotless. He's asked you to be ready and be set apart. Paul writes this to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. There's so much more we can say here, but we're not going to. But I want you to hear something. God is returning for royalty. He's not returning for a limping church. He's returning to a church that is going and doing and proclaiming his glory. You know, back in ancient Hebrew times, when they were being betrothed to be married, the bride-to-be, the one who was betrothed, while her husband-to-be was away preparing the marriage chamber, the bride, when she was to walk out amongst the public, was to walk veiled. Because that was the sign, the symbol that this person was betrothed to be married. That this person was off the market and no other fitting would-be suitor could come and ask for her hand in marriage. They would wear this veil that would say, I'm off limits in a sense. I belong to someone. And you see, for too long, the church has worn the wrong veil. We've worn a veil of darkness, of slumber, of, in a sense, uh, separation. You can't come near me. We're, we're separated from the world. So there's this veil over our lives that looks more like a burqa. Who likes burkas? You just see the little eyes. And I don't think that's God's intention. I think the veil is more of his glory. I want to say that again. The veil is proclaiming who she's betrothed to. And if the church is betrothed to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if the church is betrothed to Jesus Christ who is coming on his, on his mighty horse in a sense that he's coming upon the clouds, in the sense that there is a mighty trumpet blow of God coming, what's he returning for? Is he returning for a church that is veiled and separated itself from the world or a church that is so influential that the glory of the Lord is upon them and the world is turning to the church? Because in a holy and spotless bride, more about how full it is, more about how big it is, more about how inclusive it is in bringing people into the kingdom of God. Isn't that what the veil is actually talking about? And your veil on your life, what is the veil? Is it one of sadness? Is it one of mourning? Or is it one of joy that you are being set apart to God and the King of Kings is coming to sweep you off your feet, to rapture you? 
as part of the church. And if that be the case, then you are individual agents of the glory of God. And in this nation, you need to stand up. Because Jesus is coming for a bride that will usher in the bridegroom. You are royalty to influence, to rule and to reign over the flesh. You are countercultural. And you are set apart to usher in the return of the bridegroom. Tash, can I invite you to come and play for me, please? You see, you are countercultural. And you're not meant to be sad, but you're meant to behold the glory of your bridegroom. What are you showing as you walk around this world? What are you revealing? Are you walking with an Old Testament mindset? Are you walking with a mindset that says grace? Are you walking with a, a mindset that says Jesus accepts all? Not by what you do, not by what you've done. He accepts you because of what He did. Today, as you have listened, my prayer has been that you will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Many of us, if we would only take time in reflection and meditation on the Word, the Spirit would be able to see where our thoughts are, whether they're still controlled by the pauper or slave mentality, or whether we are slowly being transformed into the likeness of the groom. You see, when, when that marriage consummation comes, you're going to have the right to use His name forever and ever and ever. Not in part like we see now, but forever. Are you worthy to carry the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? You are because He's made you worthy. And He's given you the power and authority of that name to carry right here, right now. And I think the more we use His name, the more He trusts us and the more power comes with His name. And we start praying for headaches and they start to get healed. Hallelujah. We start praying for people with cancer. They start getting healed. Hallelujah. We see people with, with debilitating mental illness set free. Why? Because the name of the King is redeeming them. So you, we've got to change this mentality that we're just broken Christians. We've got to actually start to see that we are alive in Him. And that He has empowered us to bring victory to this world and to transform this world. I'm going to read you something just in concluding today as Tash is playing. Can I ask you to close your eyes, please? For some of you, this language, you may need to ask God what He's saying, but listen with your heart. Pauperhood is relegated to the children of a lesser God. It is the condition of slaves who have yet to discover their freedom on the other side of the river of baptism and find themselves still captured by the dark prince of torture and torment. He is, the, uh, he is the one who assigns them to a life of poverty, pain and depression through a diabolical play of illusion. He hopes to conceal their true identity forever. This evil prince feeds his captives the poisonous rations of religion, convincing them they will fill their soul's hunger for righteousness. These slaves, blindfolded by their sin, think that they are laboring for their own freedom 
and work to pave their way out of prison with bricks built from the miry clay of self-righteousness. Yet unknowingly, brick by brick, they are erecting their own chambers of death. Worse yet, they birth children into the same darkness, ultimately creating legacies of bondage with mindsets of hopelessness. But on a hill far away, a lamb-turned-lion descended into this death camp through the portal of Golgotha. Crashing through the gates of hell, he met the dark prince in the mother of all battles. With three spikes and a thorny crown, the captain of the host conquered the devil, eternally disarming his destructive weapons of sin, death, hell and the grave. Sin could not tempt him, death couldn't defeat him, Hell couldn't keep him and the grave could not hold him. With watching witness and waiting warriors, he ascended through earth's surface. The planet quaked. The releases captives. While heaven thundered to receive its treasure. They weren't just waiting for rescued souls to be redeemed, but for the crowning of the sons who were to be revealed. For with his blood, the Holy One of Radiance purchased rotten, ragged sinners and recreated us into his righteousness, into his saints reigning. We are not just soldiers of the cross, we are heirs to the throne. The divine nature permeates our souls, transforms our minds, transplants our hearts and transfigures our spirits. We were made to be vessels of His glory and vehicles of His light. Perhaps we are better exemplified as the beautiful daughter who will ascend the throne through marriage. For she is betrothed to the Prince of Peace. The bridal chamber is being built, the feast is being prepared, and the bride is making herself ready. Alternatively, we may be called the children of God the engaged bride, a royal priesthood, the apple of his eye, and a new creation. But above all, one thing is for certain, we have captivated the hearts of our lover. Burning with desire, he has mounted his white horse, assembled a majestic entourage, and is making his way toward the planet. Meanwhile, back on earth, God's people are rising and beginning to shine in this present darkness. His royal army is spreading the king's glory all over the earth as we take dominion of this planet back from the defeated one. Equipped with the light of the Father, his sons are, by, are finding buried treasure in the hearts of men that was once covered by rocks of offence, thorns of treachery and relics of religion. Armed with the power of the Holy Spirit and commissioned to represent the king's son, we are healing the sick, raising the dead and displacing devils. Paupers are becoming princes as a result and the kingdom of this world is becoming the kingdom of our God. My prayer is that those words resonate in your heart this morning. And I'm going to throw a challenge out there for you. A renewed mind 
is one that is ready to sacrifice all for the kingdom of God. A mind that says, I am no longer a pauper, but a prince. I am no longer a slave, but a princess. Is a mind free of this world and says, God, your kingdom come here and now through me. A renewed mind is a conduit for the kingdom of God to operate through your life. We are all ministers of the kingdom of God. We are all ministers of his presence and we are all ministers of his Holy Spirit. You carry the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. He has set you apart. And I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet if you're willing to accept my prayer this morning for you. If God is moving in your heart and says, you are a prince and you need a mind renewed and I want to use you in my kingdom, then maybe you need to stand to your feet this morning. Because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to touch your heart and renew your mind and empower you to live a life set apart for Him. Thank you, Jesus. Are you ready to be set apart for God today? See, it's a freeing thing to wholly trust in your God. It's a freeing thing to know that He is with you in every moment of your life. It's a freeing thing to say that He desires to dwell with you. So I invite you this morning. You might have encountered God in a real way. But you just want to say and you want to draw a line in the sand and just say, God, I am all for you. Then I invite you to stand to your feet now. I am all for you. There is no turning back. There is no turning back. I am all for you. Thank you, Father. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I bind every thought and take captive every thought of the enemy that is causing you to doubt. Right here in this place, if you are thinking that you cannot break the bonds of the slave, then I just cast away those words from you and break every chain off your life now in Jesus' name. The Son deserves His glory. The Son deserves His name to be uplifted. Satan, you get your hands off the, God, the people of God right now. I bind you. Your, your words in Jesus' name have no power. For we are free. And who the Spirit of the Lord has set free is free indeed. Father, we thank you right now. And I pray for those who are standing. I pray for their hearts. I pray for their their resolve. For I know, Lord God, that this is genuine in their life. Just one more time, if you want to make a stand between the voice of the devil and the voice of your king, I invite you, if you want to stand to your feet, stand to your feet. This is the day that the Lord has made.
So Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus Christ for the words of freedom, for the kingdom of God is now. We declare upon this church and upon this nation, this region, the kingdom of God has come. Holy Spirit, move and have your way in the hearts of your children. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. But we thank you even more for your power right now, Lord God, because we have encountered your love. The rest of the world around us need to encounter it too. So we need the power to overcome ourselves, to overcome the flesh, to live a life of righteousness, to live a life by the Spirit. So we thank you for your grace upon our lives now to set us free. And we choose from this moment forward to turn to you even in our weakest moments. Because, Lord, we do not want the enemy to have a foothold in our life. Let there be no chink in our armor. Let there be no weak spots. Let there be nothing that would hold us back. Father, right now I pray. I pray your Holy Spirit will minister to those standing and just come upon them afresh in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on those who are praying in the depths of their heart right now for a real encounter with you. Holy Spirit, fill them. Holy Spirit, move. Do what I cannot do. Holy Spirit, transform their mind. Thank you, Father. Release your joy and your love into their hearts and the resolve to say yes, yes, yes to you in every occasion. Father, we give you glory. One last thing, if you are here and you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you are here and you have not said yes to Jesus Christ, if you have not encountered what He has done for you, then I want to invite you to come and talk to me now. And I will pray with you and I will lead you to your King. So just in finishing, if you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord, would you stand to your feet this morning? If you've never made a decision for Jesus, would you stand to your feet and say yes to your King? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you that everyone here right now in this auditorium has encountered you. Let the truth that we are princes and princesses resonate in our hearts this week. May we live free as you have set us free. In your mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.